How does antimicrobial resistance impact Ontario's swine industry? And what are the best health management practices for pigs in all stages of production? Today we're speaking with Travis Jansen, a producer and researcher based in Seaforth, Ontario. Travis and I discuss his research on the economics of antimicrobial use with respect to Lasonia intracellularis in swine production. We also talk about his involvement in an industry project that was looking at benchmarking producer purchasing and antimicrobial use practices, which spans several years and many different herds. So let's get into it. Okay, well, Travis, thanks for uh, for coming in today. We're really excited to have the chance to sit down and talk to you about uh, pigs and antimicrobial stewardship. Yeah, thanks for having me. So uh, I think a bunch of people uh, that are listening to the podcast have started to get used to the fact that we're trying to bring a variety of, of perspectives to the table in terms of antimicrobial stewardship or the concerns over antimicrobial resistance, which is really the focus of our, our podcast, um, and trying to get... Um, yeah, every, a different lens on what does that look like in different species. And so, of course, one that's been a lot of time talking about because there's a lot going on in the area is pigs uh, in Ontario. Um, so for our, our listeners, can you give us a bit of a sense of what your background with, with this issue has been in the swine sector? Uh, yeah, for sure. So so I guess to start off, I grew up on a uh, on a hog farm near Seaforth, Ontario, which is about two hours west of, of Toronto. Um, Dad had uh, sows. Uh, about 400 sows kind of in an old bank barn that got renovated and stuff like that. Uh, so we had those sows till I was about 14, um, and, or that was around 2009 uh, when the hog farm transition program came through. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we actually had some purrs go through for a couple of years in the, in the sow herd. And uh, at the time, Dad decided to, to take the uh, exit. So we got out of sows in, in 2009 there, but uh, he had built a couple of uh, finishing barns um, that he had on contract. Uh, they were built in 90 six and 99 so we kept those on mm-hmm. um so i, I kind of grew up in pigs um all throughout high school uh didn't really know what i was going to do necessarily after uh finishing high school so i went to the university of waterloo um, and did a bachelor of knowledge integration um which is kind of like an arts and science uh, a lot of flexibility in it i didn't know what i was going to do so that gave me some options um but what i found as i as i went through all the different courses i um, often uh, would refer back to agriculture. It was it was sort of what was comfortable for me, what I was interested in. Uh, so even if the the courses that I was taking weren't necessarily related to that, I tried to do my papers and um, and projects kind of associated with agriculture. Um, and that led me to a, an honors thesis related to um, public perception of farm animal welfare, uh, which connected me to the University of Guelph, um, where I did my master's. Uh, I took a year off to work, and then I, I went and did my master's at the University of Guelph with Alphonse Weersink, um, where we studied um, sort of the economic value of antimicrobials. So along the, the line of that, yes, we have these AMR issues. Um, there's a huge uh, health risk, but there's also the, the flip side of it is what does reducing antibiotic use look like from a producer side. Um, um, so that, that was sort of the master's. And then since graduating, I've, I've had the opportunity to continue to work with, with hogs and do some different projects in the hog industry. Um, one of them being a uh, antimicrobial use benchmarking study that uh, the Ontario Pork Industry Council has done. And, and they've been doing that for, this is the third iteration that we just sort of finished up. So um, yeah, familiar with the hog industry, sort of know uh, a decent bit about pigs compared to some of the other livestock and have, have touched on antimicrobial use and antimicrobial resistance a little bit along the way. So Great. 
So, I mean, of course, resistance is a, a big point of discussion in, in livestock uh, today, and, and certainly it's been one for a long time in, in the swine industry. Um, from your standpoint, what are some of those discussions look like? Why are we so focused on it? What are some of the concerns from a, from a swine perspective? Yeah, so I don't know if this is swine specific per se, but I, when, I, when I first sort of got into the antimicrobial uh, sphere of research, it it surprised me how early on antimicrobials had sort of been added into into feeds. Um, so from my perspective, it, we kind of started intensifying livestock production kind of post-World War II, um, and then um, maybe started to see some bacterial health problems with the way that the, we are raising um, hogs in this intensive model. So you started to see antimicrobial use increasing um, kind of routine use um, in sort of through the 50s and 60s. And then, because that because it was sort of, from my understanding, sort of necessary to tackle some of these health challenges and make that intensive livestock uh, system work. Mm-hmm. And then, in uh, I, my first sort of reading was the the Swan report that came out, and I think it was in the UK, um, kind of talking about the dangers of antimicrobial use in livestock and the potential for um, resistance development and the impact that that might have on humans. Um, and then, sort of. Again, from my reading, it seemed like through the 70s and 80s, there was a lot of studies that showed the economic impact of antimicrobials, the production impact, all seemed to be really positive, and, and there wasn't any clear, clear tie um, to antimicrobial use in livestock and swine and um, uh, the amount of antimicrobial-resistant bacteria being seen in humans. So it was kind of, at least in North America, I know it's a different perspective in Europe where they, they have more of a precautionary principle. The Anecdotally, we can we can see how antimicrobial use in, in livestock might lead to um, antimicrobial resistant bacteria infecting humans. Um, whereas I think in North America, we've sort of um, been waiting for more of a hard, fast uh, uh, proof that that exists. And that's, I don't know if that proof has come per se, but I think you're seeing more of a movement in the last you know, 15, 15 years or so towards reducing use. And I think actually what you're bringing up is, is really, I think, good background in terms of, of some of the thinking about why this is an issue and why this is a concern and really that's what that's the crux of the question is is you know what what are we what's the discussion when it comes to resistance in in pigs yeah so so i guess those those production impacts were still fairly significant through the through the 70s and 80s and, and even 90s i think all the research sort of said you know five percent uh maybe increase in average daily gain and two percent uh improved feed conversion which or maybe four i i don't have those numbers perfect but in a in a tight margin industry, if you can increase those kind of production parameters by by small increments, those result in, in huge increases in your profit margins. So um, basically the message that, that I kind of read was that, you know, huge benefits, no um, clear cut risk um, through that period. And then more recently, you know, early 2000s, there was some studies that came out that said the, improve, uh, the benefits are still there. They're maybe not quite as significant. Um, and at the same time, there was reductions being done in, in Europe where they were saying, you know, maybe 60% of the herds didn't see a decrease in, in performance when we started to cut out some of those antimicrobials. Um, and the ones that did see a decrease, it was kind of a, a decrease and then they learned ways to manage it. And then they were able to bring their levels back up to baseline. And I, I, I can't speak to the costs of, of what they've substituted in for antibiotics for improved right. health, but um, I, I do know that the, the facilities being used are, are a lot better. Um, than they were, you know, through the 50s, 60s, and 70s. I've seen some of those old hog barns, those old finishing barns, and um, it's hard to believe that hogs were, were raised in some of them. Um, so kind of anecdotally, I, I think you can say that, that the genetics and the improved uh, conditions, improved feed, 
um, have all sort of maybe led to less of a need for, for some of these, at the very least, routine use of, of antibiotics in, in finishing and in, in nursery phases. Um, and, and I know there's been some policy that's been uh, put forward to kind of reduce that routine use with the requiring of um, prescriptions from veterinarians to use antibiotics. So you can't just go to the, the feed mill anymore to um, get antibiotics in your feed if you want it. You need a script. And also, um, uh, on paper, you're not allowed to use, I don't think, antibiotics for uh, growth promotion purposes anymore, which I don't know what exactly that means, if it just means that they're they're writing a script for the same thing and, and that's it's still being used as growth promotion. But um, through sort of my discussions with veterinarians in the industry, uh, it seems to be that, that this move has at least created a discussion about do we need these in our feed? Um, because now they have to talk to the veterinarian about getting those scripts. So I think, I mean, no matter what the, the outcome of, of that policy was per se, it does force more discussions um, between producers and veterinarians. And, and I think there's nothing wrong with that at all. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you touch on a couple of good things there. I mean, that's I like some of those comments about policy because it, you know they really do have a, an impact on you know, the veterinary client patient relationship, which is a, a big thing that, that those regulations have focused on is having one of those and then enabling producers and their veterinarians to have those conversations about what are we actually doing? Why are we doing it? And, and what if effect or impact is that having? And, and the growth promotion aspect is, you know, any, any antimicrobial that just had a label claim for growth promotion or had several label claims, but growth promotion was part of that, those have been stripped back. And so in some cases, uh, antimicrobials that didn't have another uh, another label or mm-hmm. another piece of uh, direction on the label has actually been removed off the market. And I, I think that's a good thing because uh, you talk about all of the other ways we can look at managing the environment or the animals individually or as a, at a herd level uh, to help improve or maintain production without relying on antimicrobials per se. Mm-hmm. Um, the one thing I wanted to ask you just, and I'm not sure if you, what your perspective would be on it, but you mentioned you've done a little bit of work on sort of the public or consumer perspective on, on livestock agriculture. Do we, do you have any sense or do you have an opinion, uh, on how antimicrobials might fit into that, that, you know, are consumers concerned about antimicrobials? Do we have a sense of that? What's your, what's your take? Yeah, I, it, and I don't know if this is just because I was focusing on it for two years during my research that it seemed like it was more important back then, and that could have just been my tunnel vision. Tunnel vision, and I was focusing on it. Um, but I guess I, as I, you know, you study economics, you kind of look what does the market say about it, and and um, you look at the, the poultry industry and some of the swine industry. There's a premium for um, raising livestock without antibiotics, so I would say that that people do see value in it, and I, it, it's tricky. Um, the, the raise without antibiotics do, does a few things. Um, I think it's a signal for improved quality, um, which isn't necessarily true, I don't think, in, in the actual product that you're getting. I don't think one's better or worse or improved welfare or, or worse welfare. I, and when I speak to, to people, you know, in my circle of friends or, or family, um, they, they don't seem to understand. I don't, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I don't believe there's any risk from the food um, that you eat, whether it's raised without antibiotics or not, to, to acquire any antimicrobial-resistant bacteria. Um, so I think that's a perceived thing from people who buy raised without antibiotics, is that the food's safer because it's none of that livestock's been given antibiotics, so they're not going to get any, any antibiotic-resistant bacteria by eating that, which isn't really a, a risk, I don't think. Um, so public perception, I guess at the grocery store, that that's the easiest way to see public perception. Um, 
but I, I haven't really seen it in the news the same way. I think it's been a, a policy priority for probably 15 or 20 years um, from my understanding. And I, I speaking with some of the people at the university, I think it's going to continue to be a priority in research. There's a lot of money available to, to do research in that. So I think the government saying, yes, it's a huge concern um, and the public's willing to pay for raise without antibiotics or willing to pay more. But I don't I don't see it as being such a um, polarizing topic as, uh, you know, animal welfare you know, being a vegan versus eating meat. Those are, those are more, I think, ethical issues that, that people really take a lot of, uh, that kind of really sit at their core and their value system. Whereas this raise without antibiotics is more of like a science-based um, type question that, um, yeah, you'll get some of this concern about eating f- meat that comes from animals that have been given antibiotics. But um, usually if you have any kind of sensible discussion with someone about why livestock are given antibiotics, um, that makes sense to them. It's the same as when they get sick, they take antibiotics. Um, uh, so I don't think it's quite the same issue in the public eye that some of these other things are. Um, but they also don't have a support or, a, um, not-for-profit groups creating videos and all that sort of stuff too. That's, that's backing this cause in the same way. So yeah, I, I don't think it's, it's quite the same issue. Um, in the public's eye, I would say it's more in the science, um, public policy sort of sphere that it that it's really an issue Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah no i think that's fair i think there's a there's a lot of people out there thinking about this but there's a larger body you know like the the massive middle if you if you take out the polls in terms of the people on the far left that might really really aggressively hate this and then there's a far right that really are saying yeah this is needed and absolutely there's a big massive middle that you know there's a whole host of other values like you say that are influencing decision making so that's interesting if if we focus Again, getting back to some of the comments you made previously about, um, I think you said, you know, 60%, which could be an arbitrary number, but there's, a, you know, a, a large percentage of, of farms, um, you know, historically may have started to pull antimicrobials or their reliance of antimicrobials back um, and noticed, you know, we're not seeing a dramatic change in, in production or, or um, overall health and welfare. Um more and more people are starting to think about that or explore what that looks like or science you know projects are starting to evaluate that that generally comes with we're we're reducing our reliance on antimicrobials and we're starting to look at implementing other or changing up existing management practices or looking at other tools or techniques to try and better manage these animals or these populations of animals in order to ensure that we're not either exposing them to the same bugs that we were or the same level of bugs that we were before, or we're just doing a better job of managing that environment. Um, in your world, in, in the hog industry, um, so in, in your specific perspective and then generally in the industry, um, what kind of management practices, strategies, tools, techniques, whatever word you want to use, do you think or are you seeing out there that might be a, a effective in helping to manage animal health and welfare? Yeah, I mean, and this is something that's just been beaten to death, but like biosecurity, from my understanding, is the biggest, um, biggest thing you can do to, to keep, um, to keep these bacterial um, bugs out of your barn and not have to, to rely on that in the same way. So there, there's been a lot of uh, changes in, in the hog industry. Um, things like all in all out is huge mm-hmm. for, um, for reducing, uh, uh, bacterial and I think viral pressure as well in barns. So if you can get all your hogs out, clean it, disinfect it, let it sit for a couple of days, um, and and that just makes makes sense. I think you know rather than bringing in young pigs with older pigs and 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 different disease loads. So um, that that's sort of a practice. But I I go back to biosecurity. I I 
I talk to veterinarians and yes, you can, well, there's, I don't think there's too many vaccines for a lot of bacterial, um, or maybe there is, I'm not sure. I'm not a vet, but, um, um, mostly it's, uh, it has to do with biosecurity and keeping things clean. Um, and then addressing the issues as they arise rather than just having them present all the time and, and just, you know, kind of managing them at a low level, um, so that they're, they're not impacting your bottom line. It's, it's about really, um, looking after the cleanliness and the health of, of the pigs rather than um, focusing on just treating them long enough to get by so that they can go to market and on to the next group. Yep. That that's my impression. I, I mean, there's pre like probiotics and all these different things. And I think um, you'll see mixed results on different, different studies. Some work, some don't, I don't, I don't know the science behind all that. Um, but really basic, good animal handling, good environment in the barn, biosecurity um, are, are sort of the key, the key things I think to, to reducing, um, the need for for any microbial use Mm -hmm. i think yeah i think you're right i mean you know if we can manage infections if we can manage entry of pathogens into the barn in the first place then the pressure is 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 lessened right then and there and then the likelihood that we're going to need antimicrobials to sort of come in and save the day or help lessen whatever burden there is um well that's really the, the ultimate goal right reduce the entry of pathogens in and then by doing that we can probably have a healthier herd from the get-go yeah, I mean, we we work together on a paper on emerging infectious disease, right? And it's about the host, the pathogen, and um, the environment, right? So if you can create a an animal that's healthier through proper nutrition, um, uh, lots of good ventilation, all those all those different things, that animal is going to be way better at fighting off a disease than if it's one that's already kind of immunocompromised. Um, and I think that's what you see with a lot of viral infections is that um, it's not necessarily the virus that kills them. It's that they're immunocompromised and then some of those bacteria that can come in and really kind of wreak havoc. Um, so if you can have healthier pigs, um, keep the bacteria out, those are those are kind of the two best ways to reduce. And, it, and that's just common sense. I'm not saying anything new here. I'm yep. sure this has been um, preached by veterinarians for 20 years, but I, you still see pictures, you still hear stories about about the different things that producers do. And um, that that is really what, what creates the problems. Yep. Yep. No, I think that's fair. So you've got a unique perspective, uh, you know, which which brings you in today, and and that's not just from the farm perspective, but also the fact that you've worked with industry, um, you've done some some of your own research with the, at the University of Guelph, like you mentioned, um, on antimicrobial use, looking at. Uh, practices in terms of stewardship, how do we actually manage uh, health and welfare and reduce uh, reliably use um, and responsibly reduce our use uh, of antimicrobials. Um, so tell me a little bit about that. What what are some of the projects you've been involved in and, uh, and, and you know, what have you learned? What are the lessons that, that listeners can take away? Yeah, so I guess the, the first kind of introduction that I had was um, I had a background in hogs and I came into my master's and everyone was kind of deciding their projects and um, Alphonse had kind of said there's a project related to hogs and health and um, there's a bit of flexibility as to what way we want to go and I think um, looking at something to do with antimicrobial resistance is a is a good topic it's it's relatable it's important um, and you kind of have the the farm experience to be able to think about how that impacts um, producers and production and things like that um, so what we what we kind of came to is um, a project that looked at not the AMR side, because there's tons of research out there that says, you know, um, there's this much resistance if you use this antibiotic, there's resistance to this and that. And that's more of a, I think that's more of a science-based project than a than an economics-based project, which is what I did my master's in. So um, really simply what we wanted to do is try to think about a way for to evaluate reducing antibiotic use 
um, that took the producers, um, uh, how it impacted them into perspective a little bit more. And as I, as I read through different um, papers and tried to do a bit of a literature review, there wasn't a lot of data that said, you know, um, for this specific disease or this specific antibiotic, this is the impact that it might have. Um, there was a lot of like industry level stuff, you know, if we reduce antibiotic growth promoters, it's going to cost, you know, $2 a hog or a dollar a hog. And, um, but I don't think that really says anything about a strategic way to reduce antibiotic use. Cause I think it has to be, it's too complicated to just say, we want to reduce antibiotic use by 40% or, or whatever. Like there has to be specific antibiotics and specific timings and, um, which one has the most impact. So we said, well, if there's none of these papers really out there, is there a way that we can, you know, create a framework for looking at the economic impact of uh, antibiotic use on farms for certain diseases? Uh, so we chose an infection that we thought was um, the the epidemiology of it's a little bit sim- more simple than some of the other diseases. So um, ileitis and hogs caused by Lasonia and tricellularis. Um, and then we basically uh, did some research that showed the impact um, like through a literature review, the impact that that disease had on farms kind of at a uh, best case, expected case, worst case um, level, and then showed the production impact of that disease. And then we went on the um, uh, the compendium of veterinary products, which lists sort of all the veterinary products available for use in, in animal medicine um, in Canada and found the ones that had uh, labels for Lasonia and then uh, did research to try to find any field trials that showed the impact that those uh, vaccines and antibiotics had on Lasonia. So I think that's a really nice overview in terms of uh, your goals at the time, in terms of a, uh, developing a framework to better understand, you know, how and why and to what extent are antimicrobials effective for for dealing with one specific condition. And um, my understanding is you've taken some of those lessons learned and you've worked with industry to focus a little bit more on how do you help change mindset and, and behavior um, with respect to more broadly antimicrobial use, just plain and simple. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about, about your collaborations with the industry on that? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so since graduating, I, I finished school last August, I guess, so 2018 August. Uh, I've done a few projects with a few different people, but one of them has been uh, with the Ontario Pork Industry Council. Um, they've sort of been doing a project actually for, I guess they started in 14. Um, where they've collected uh, production information from producers, uh, so things like weights and number of pigs finished and, and number of sows. Um, and then they go and talk to the feed companies and the uh, veterinarians who sell them antimicrobials and collect sales data for, uh, for those producers. So in that way, um, they were able to attach sort of the, the antimicrobial usage um, to each farm mm-hmm. and, and kind of that allowed the producers to sort of compare themselves against each other, you know, whether it's dollars pe- spent per sale. I don't think we've just added the dollar portion in 2018, but in 14, you know, the number of antimicrobials kilograms used per sale, per piglet, per wean pig, per finishing pig. Um, so I think that was a really good initiative to start in 2014. And then in 2016, they did it again, a few more producers um, it allowed them to see some changes uh, from farm to farm. Uh, I'm not sure what else was all sort of added from 14 to 16, but then in 18, I was lucky enough to, um, you know, meet uh, Andrew DeGroot, uh, who works with the Ontario Pork Industry Council. She's the manager there. Um, and she said they were doing the project again and looking for someone to sort of, um, I guess, do some of the data collection and analysis and stuff like that. So that uh, we sort of got started in that in early 2019. 
and through a, uh, a slow process of reaching out to producers who have uh, busy and um, definitely want to help and think it's valuable, but also have a lot of other stuff going on. Sure. Um, we maybe, I think we had uh, just over 50 farms participate this year. Um, you know, almost 90, I think 95,000 sows. So say there's 300 and some odd thousand sows in Ontario. So a good chunk of sows for the Ontario hog industry. Mm-hmm. Um, not, we didn't follow it right from fair to finish. I, I maybe had a, a million, um, million and 1.3 million finishing pigs. So I, I mean, still a good number of hogs for sure for a 50 farm sample. Um, but yeah, so we, I, I reached out to them and collected their production information and reached out to all the veterinarians and uh, feed companies to get that um, AMU um, for the farm. And then this year they also added a financial component, which I thought was really great because as I talked about earlier, I think the financial component is really what speaks true to producers. Um, but uh, so so that was sort of the, the take on it. But after doing it for, for three iterations um, and quite a few of the farms participating in all three, we were able to sort of track um, antimicrobial use on those farms over the, the number of iterations. And, and generally the trend has sort of been um, a decrease in, in antimicrobial use. Um, but sort of uh, issues come up, w- up with that. So so I guess the, the approach with this is, is different than maybe some other approaches for reducing antimicrobial use. Um, some, like I think the Danish um, or uh, Danish farmers, they have to record all their antimicrobial use and there's very strict regulations and monitoring. And I think it's like a green card, yellow card, red card system where they're using too much or too little. Mm-hmm. Um, very intensive by the sounds of things, but a bit very effective, I think, in reducing the amount of antimicrobials that they use. Um, North America hasn't taken quite that same uh, approach. It's sort of, from what I understand, sort of been voluntary uh, industry run, um, but it kind of as a proactive measure that was the purpose of this study is saying rather than being told um you know we need to cut our antimicrobial use we're going to go out and say you know we are we are committed to recording antimicrobial use in our industry tracking it over time and working with producers to cut it down so that was sort of the the purpose of this project right um and and i i learned a whole bunch of of new stuff by participating in it and working with veterinarians um things like uh how how antimicrobial use is is tracked there is uh from my understanding there's sort of two ways to go about it, it can be kind of total weight uh, of antimicrobials use so whenever you go on uh you know pull up your newspaper for the new york times or whatever and you see an art- article on antimicrobial resistance it'll say however many million pounds of antibiotics are used by the hog industry every year and how does this compare to human medicine and it looks at maybe it looks atrocious I- i'm not sure exactly how those numbers match up but um that that's one approach for doing it so if you look at a kg basis um, but then there's also the animal daily dose basis. So how many um, doses of, of antimicrobials are pigs being given um, rather than the necessarily the kilograms? Because you might have an antimicrobial that um, weighs a lot less or you use a lot less volume, but you're still using more or whatever doses. So it's kind of a complicated um, thing to do. And then to compare across different countries becomes that much more complicated because uh, I don't think there's consistency across the way uh, a dose is, is sort of measured for different products. So one might be higher than the other or less. So then when you're comparing across countries, it's it's totally skewed. Um, but I think that's sort of the standard way globally is how they measure it is by doses. So um, it, it's great that everyone manages by doses, but if doses are different, then how do you compare across countries? And that's when you see, again, you see the articles, they say uh, Denmark has reduced it by this much and we haven't done anything then how do you, it's not a fair comparison. So I, I think one of the biggest issues kind of on a 
upper level is that that measurement and how do you do that and maybe there's not an easy perfect way to do it i i but that that is an issue um, but on the producer level uh, getting back to kind of the study that we did this year they added um, kind of a constructed price for um, uh, the different antimicrobials that were sold to really show producers where they're spending their money on antibiotics and um, for some the, the it's significant I mean um, you know hundreds of thousands of dollars spent on on antimicrobials for some of the the larger producers and um, maybe some of them are aware of it maybe some of them aren't maybe some of them think it's a cost of doing business but when you start to see those big numbers attached to it it certainly is another reason to have a discussion with your vet like right. hey um, you know, I'm just paying attention here. It says, and it's, and the nice thing about the, the report is not only did we give them the total that they spent on it, but total per sow and how does that compare to the rest of the study? So they can say, you know, if I'm spending a dollar fifty or $2 per sow, um, on this antibiotic and the industry average is like 30 cents, how, why, why is that? And maybe it's, they're substituting for a different product, but maybe it is that they just use more and they had something bad happen a few years ago. And now it's just become kind of a, a routine thing because they're worried about it coming coming back or maybe they just uh, vets are are always busy like crazy i think so it's it's tough to um stay on top of antimicrobial stewardship on every farm they look after i think i i don't know for sure um what that is but i, I know they're always running around like crazy putting out fires um so if a farm you know has a tylosin in the feed and um, the script's been written for that and it was an ongoing script to to deal with something as long as it lingered um maybe it gets missed and, and then this just forces a, a discussion about those things. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think that it's a really, a really good study for a number of reasons. One is it shows, you know, that we care about it and we're tracking it and that, you know, 30% of the sows have been captured in it. And so obviously some of those bigger producers care a lot about antimicrobial use. Um, it allows people who participate in it to track year over year. So that's a discussion. You know, we've been able to reduce antibiotic use. Our production has been the same. Um, the best way to share information is mouth to mouth with producers. So if someone can say, you know, I participated in this study and I cut my AMU by 30%, they're, they're probably going to brag about it. If they're not, if they're not seeing any production issues, if they're seeing production issues, they'll probably be quiet. Um, but, um, it's a, it's a small industry. If you can get people talking about it and paying attention to it and recording it and, um, maybe attaching some numbers to it, I, I think it just generally creates a, a mo- not a movement, but like a, a vibe about the industry that says we care about this, we're talking about this, maybe um, it's something that I should look at on my farm. So uh, I think it's a really great study. I don't, they, they've um, talked about getting funding to do it again um, in another uh, two years, so for 2020, and um, the thought being that, um, so this was done for 2018, so it was before the new regulations came in for requiring a script and stuff right, like that. Right. So the thought would be, it'd be interesting to see how that changed, um, you know, once those those regulations came in, maybe it's nothing. But um, when you want to get funding for projects, they I think they need to be different sort of every time. You can't just say I want to do the same thing over and over again and get and get funding for it. So we'll see how that goes. But um, I think it's a great project and and that it's it's added a lot of uh, value in, in generating discussion for producers. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I like uh, the approach that you've taken for a few reasons, and and one is. There's a peer learning component to, to what you're doing in terms of getting producers together to talk about common issues, uh, whether people, like you say, have a have a sort of a really focused understanding of, of what they're using, why they're using it and the costs associated, or maybe they're not as aware of what that is um, because there's only so many things we can all sort of keep a, a really close focus yeah. on. And so um, I think that's, you know, one, you're drawing um, sort of a collective focus on on this issue, which is, as we're talking about, an emerge. An 
not an emerging a, a big issue that we're dealing with. Um, but the second is that there's a that there is a sort of a human behavior component that really drives one another based on benchmarking mm-hmm. or based on an understanding of hey I'm here and the average is where okay yeah. interesting so why am I so different and is there a rational explanation for that or is maybe that an opportunity you know um, so I think that's that's you know there's a lot of motivational opportunity there yeah. um, and so I like that uh, from that standpoint the other reason I like it is like you're saying you know this is about um, stepping up and being proactive about an issue that we as an industry not just in swine but in livestock agriculture know um, is something we need to we need to get on top of and if we don't um, then then the industry or the governments will react you know will react and and so the best thing we can do is take progressive and proactive steps to understand the issue and to try and address it as best we can so I think that's you know the steps that you're taking here in the hog industry is is I think are really quite good um, and a lot of other industries could learn um, you know from the model that's that you guys are establishing and, and it sounds like refining it through each iteration as well yeah and I think there's been um, from my understanding so this is, is done in partnership with uh, Boehringer BI um, they uh, they have sort of a tool that that one of their veterinarians created during their um, masters or PhD okay. for for analyzing. You know, you put it all into this program and it kicks out the average animal okay. daily doses and stuff like that. Um, so there has and um, she's the one who kind of created is based out of Alberta. But um, I think there's been some interest in some other um, provinces as well in doing something sort of similar, so they can also sort of get ahead of this curve and say, um, you know, we we care about it and we're tracking it and we're comparing it and and doing all those things like you said because it 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 comes down to um, things like motivation and and um, not you can't just tell someone you know your farm is leading to antimicrobials it's the same problem as climate change right it's a yep. tragedy of the commons yeah i'm not going to be the hero on my farm because i don't think i can make an impact on on the total impact um of antimicrobial resistance but you put something in front of someone that says you're worse or you're using more than other people they just people naturally are just i think competitive especially people who are in business so um they, uh, they'll work to cut that back for sure. Sure. Yeah. No, I think that's that's fair. So, um, you know, I think that actually provides us with a pretty good picture of, of some of the things that you've been focused on, Travis, and, and like I said, a, a pretty unique perspective in terms of both dealing with animals and making decisions at that level as well and, and building relationships with other aspects of the value chain, um, but also having the opportunity to do some research and look at this from another perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, so thanks very much for, for coming by and, and for, you know, sharing some of your insights with us. I learned a lot and I hope everyone listening did as well. Yeah, no, thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun. Hey everyone, thanks for listening today. We hope you enjoyed the discussion. Remember to check back with this podcast as we're going to continue putting up new podcasts on this issue. And we're also working on other tools and resources for both veterinarians and producers, all focused on antimicrobial resistance and the practice of antimicrobial stewardship. You can find these tools and resources at www.amstewardship.ca. FAST is a collaborative initiative between the Ontario Veterinary Medical Association, Acer Consulting, government, academic, and industry partners, and its mission is to improve antimicrobial stewardship in farmed animals, prepare farmed animal owners and their veterinarians for policy and regulatory changes, and ultimately to preserve the efficacy of antimicrobials without compromising animal health or food safety. Thanks for listening. 